This morning, we are reading from Luke, as we have been for the last several uh, sermons. And I think we're finishing the book today, so um, that helps you figure out where it is on your, your Bibles or on your phones or whatever. Uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to the end of the chapter. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in, at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. with me as I just sit up. I mean, I could have printed it off. <laughs> that would have been smart. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> so our first Sunday in the new space, our first sermon here, and we're continuing, well, we're actually finishing our series on being on the road with Jesus. And it feels like we, we're kind of finishing, right? A little bit. Like we've, we've finished this chapter at Bolland Road. Ah, uh, Bolland Road. That's where I'm about to go talking about. Uh, Victoria Road. And now we're here in the Church of Christ. But just like this little ending in Luke, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there's this really great finishing section which actually looks forward. Um, and the first half of, I guess, our road journey is done now that we're sitting here in this new space. But just like Luke, there's more to come. We're going to be here, we're going to be present, we're going to be doing stuff at Church of Christ, and then eventually we'll be over at Bowen Road. And just like that, we have Luke, and this grand conclusion, this ending of Luke, and then we also have Luke Part 2, otherwise known as Acts, which is where we're going to be going next week, um, when Nick is going to be preaching. But uh, as we come to this one, let us focus in on what God is calling our church, the people, 
not the building, us as people, to hear. He's calling us, I believe, I think that's what he's led me on this week, to focus on the reality of the completely resurrected Jesus, him as Messiah and Lord. And then what he does, he sends us out on mission as a witness to the nations. And then the response of the disciples, and hopefully our response, of a joyful worship and everyday orientation towards God. So let me pray. Dear God, the significance and the massiveness of what we're covering this morning is just so vast because you are God and you are infinite. May you quiet the voices within us and allow us to hear your voice. May my words speak that. Amen. So, that scripture which we just marvelously heard, lost you. It's all good. It has three really interlinked sections. And the first of it is what I wanted to explain, the reality of the completely resurrected Jesus. Now, after we have the Emmaus story, that's what Melinda was preaching on last week so well, we have this account of Jesus appearing to his disciples, showing his body and eating to them. It's actually like... Uh, the same story as the road to Emmaus, but like a bit more and expanded. It seems Jesus needed to show his disciples many times and in different ways the proof and fullness of his resurrection. Because they've already actually like had some experience with him, like the women have seen him, all these other disciples have seen them, and then they still doubt, they still question, they're still concerned and amazed. It reminds me of this preaching idiom uh, by the English Reverend J.I. Jowett. So in the first part, I tell him what I'm going to tell him. And in the second part, well, then I tell him. And in the third part, I tell him what I told him. Uh, and I think Jesus did this because we needed the repetition. We needed this continually in our minds to be convinced, especially of this monumental event that is the resurrection. This is why a mixed sermon on Easter was so important for us to realize and continue to realize is that Jesus is resurrected fully human still and still fully God. That togetherness. So we return to the text and Jesus says, Shalom. Hey, I'm not a ghost or a spirit or a zombie. Uh, no, I'm the fully resurrected, fully man, fully God, Jesus. Now, why is this important? Why did Luke go into so much detail here about what Jesus exactly did? Well, culturally, in the Jewish understanding and in our understanding, I'll grant you, there's a bit of confusion about what Jesus is currently. Like, him standing there, what is he? And he needed to sort this out. So how did he do this? Quick pop quiz of, of what happened in, in the text. What did Jesus do? He ate fish. He had a meal with his disciples. Second one. He showed them his hands and feet. In the, in, the, in the text it says, touch and see his flesh and bones. He also explained the scriptures. He had community. He did a giant Bible study, as Melinda said last week. And this is a point because a ghost doesn't have bones, and you can't touch a spirit, and a zombie, or the undead, as the Jewish would have understood it, doesn't eat normal food. So this only leaves us with the understanding that Jesus is fully resurrected. And I want, 
want to just pause here and remind us that as Jesus raised from the dead, he thought it was significant enough to have a meal, to interact with his disciples, to have community, to explain things. This reality, this physical importance that Jesus obviously showed, I really hope that isn't lost to us. And if you really want to speak about it on depth, I suggest go on talking to Nick. He's written uh, 5,000 words, or more than that, 50,000 words, there you are. I, I put a wrong one down, on, on, on the disser, uh, his dissertation on the hospitality and food ministry displayed in Luke and Acts. In fact, from here, they keep on going to have meals. If we remember, the communion meal is so important. So something about this physical presence, this fully present moment that Jesus has with his disciples in that particular place. It's that this reality is important. So as we ponder what this may mean, let me ask you a question. Uh, You can show your hands up if you agree. What is the final place of the followers of Jesus after they die? Now this ties into the video that I asked you to watch. So if you did, you might have a bit of a, a heads up. Is it up there in heaven in the clouds? Hands up if you, if you think that that's what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. I'm glad that there's no hands. This is good. But who's heard that taught or who sometimes forgets that that's, a, that's what we're not believing, right? Do we, do we have this picture? This is important for us to realize because Jesus came to do away with sin, not to do away with the earth and this physical reality in our bodies. Those don't disappear into nothingness, right? Instead, Jesus came to bring heaven and earth together in new creation, which will be a physical space. I don't want to go into physics, (laughs) but that is amazing. And who cares about physics when we have this awesome part in 1 Corinthians 15? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Sometimes some translations call this the first fruits of new creation. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And later on in the chapter, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that was sown is perishable, but it raises imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in wickedness and raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. This is so important because those who follow Jesus, us, his disciples, will also follow in his resurrection, where our bodies will be like Jesus. They will be different, but they will still be human. They will be able to eat and do all those normal things and touch, but they will be eternal. This is the spiritual body that Paul talks about here in Corinthians. And this should be a great hope and comfort to us. This should be uh, very, very uh, relieved that Jesus cares so much about this physical reality. It should give us confidence to do what he then continues to tell us to do in the next section of scripture, which is our sending. 
Jesus then, in this moment of community, then explains how all of the Tanakh points to himself, and he gives us his commission. Now, it's really interesting. When you think of the commission, we usually think of the bit in Luke. Uh, not in Luke, pardon me, in Matthew. Uh, but we're reading this in Luke, and it's also in Acts, but it's different in all three. So what's the significance of this part in Luke? And it's this, his words here, we are called to be witness to the nations. This key phrase, witness to the nations, to be his witnesses to everyone by proclaiming the good news of the Messiah for the forgiveness and repentance of sins. That's our purpose. That's our mission. Doesn't that bring us back to what Jesus said he was doing when he proclaimed the good news that the kingdom of God was here? He gives us the mission that he himself was doing and is still doing. Not only that, he gives us the mission that was meant for Israel. Jesus, in this passage here, is echoing basically the entire book of Isaiah. Like, there's direct references here in chapter 40, 42, 55, 58, 61. I was going to read them all, but uh, <laughs> probably would take a little long. The idea that we are to be God's witnesses to the nations, which is an active role, not a passive role. What's the job of a witness? Do we just stand there and, and, uh, and we're observed? No, but we testify. It's a courtroom. Think of a courtroom. You get called witness. They testify to what they've seen and experienced, the truth. They testify to Jesus. Actually, we convince them with our words and with our deeds, of the reality of the resurrection. This is what it's called us to do. And doesn't this make so much sense? Because Jesus taught so much about the kingdom, about how to live in it, about the realities of it, in this life, and then he passes on his expansion to those which follow him. We actually have an essential role, our like entire role, the entire purpose of the church is to do this mission. And that extends to us today. And this is the purpose that doesn't change. It's actually foundation. It's essential. Let me continue. We have this next section, all interlinked. But Jesus' ascension to glory and reign and the response of worship from those that understand. This is the crescendo of the Gospel of Luke. And it's really interesting that after this bit, the church no longer grieves. There's no doubt after this in the disciples. They have all this doubt beforehand. They hold all this question. They're sad, they're grieving, they're in mourning. But now there's no more of that. It's done. Jesus' final ascension does not bring mourning and sadness because he's leaving. Instead, it brings joy and worship and the promise of something to come. It reminds me, I reckon, uh, this part, Jesus is maybe a little bit Baptist um, in terms of our uh, uh, denomination, because he kind of throws his disciples in the deep end. It's, if you think about it, he's been mentoring them for over three years, and he then hands on his job over to those which he mentored. And if you've ever been mentored... You, you know that your mentor doesn't fully trust you until he leaves. He doesn't trust you to do the job until he kind of lets you do it. 
<laughs> and takes a step back. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's asking his disciples to fully embrace the task and actually start doing it for themselves. And after all of these doubts and uncertainties, the disciples reach this maturity in faith and they understand the resurrected one and the point which they are to play in what's to come. And the disciples are filled with joy and Jesus is treated as an appropriate object of religious reverence. This is the technical term. For the first time in the Gospel of Luke, he's prayed and worshipped beforehand, but not like this. This is the end and crescendo of Luke, that they fully recognise who Jesus is. The disciples now need to know that they need to carry forward this mission entrusted to them, that they are to be the witnesses. And so they return to Jerusalem in obedience, without questioning, without needing to understand. They get it. And more than ever before, they're deeply committed to this faith. And they worship continually with joy in the temple, waiting the promise of the Father, which will trigger that next stage. This is Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm not speaking about that today. It's also really cool, but with that. Now, the ascension of Jesus to heaven concludes his earthly work. And when he sends the Spirit, next week, but uh, in Pentecost, he, he begins his work from heaven to be carried about through his disciples. That is, through us. And the ascension is the completion of Jesus' work. It's done. He has victory. He's living in this new reality of the kingdom. Now, I had to do a whole bunch of reading to understand the significance of this part. I, I can't go into it. I'd love to talk about it afterwards. But something which I think is really important, and it's kind of come up, is the reality of this life. Jesus was not escaping. Jesus isn't fleeing. He's being victoriously lifted up in glory to the right hand of the Father to reign as king in his kingdom. And he sends the Holy Spirit so that we can carry out the actions of that kingdom. Now this escaping mentality actually comes up a lot in our Western world. We love to escape. We read books to escape. We play video games and watch TV to escape. <laughs> we might you know, go off and uh, do other things, board games. We might go for a holiday to escape from the, oh, the real world, we like to call it. Jesus doesn't do that. Now, we, we just said that God doesn't change. We're talking about his substance, his deity. But Jesus hid part of himself away. When he came into the world, when we celebrate his Christ, at Christmas, his incarnation, he became fully human and decided to not use part of his awesome deity. It was hidden away. He wasn't like glowing and radiant and if you touched Jesus, you would instantly die because of his holiness, which is what would happen if we touched God, right? But in his fully humanness, he hidden a little bit away. Now what's really interesting is the ascension leads to the fullness of that glory and power that was only just glimpsed in the transfiguration earlier in Luke. He is now fully God, nothing hidden away. 
That glory radiates out, and it's with that same glory that he will return as the Son of Man, as we learn about in Revelation, when he comes back. That same glory, that same power. And that's what was revealed, not gained, but almost returned to Jesus at his ascension. Some theologians wonder it's this power that he takes back on that enables him to send the Holy Spirit. Either way, Jesus is now sitting down. Theologians call it he's in session. The court is in session. His kingdom is in session at the right hand of God. He is reigning as king in heaven and doing work through his disciples, just like he said he was going to do earlier in the gospel. The only appropriate response from that, just what his disciples do, is awe and worship and obedience. I really hope this speaks to us today in our situation. This series has been called On the Road with Jesus. And this last one has been called Walking with Jesus in Mission. Jesus sends us. We have been sent to this place. We are being sent somewhere. We are on the way with his mission. And I know that so much has changed, but really nothing has changed. It's the same church, the same people, the same mission and purpose underlying. But also, our church mission statement hasn't changed. It connects so well with what we're speaking about, to be a Christ-centered community of faith, learning, and service. Doesn't that speak to this reality that Jesus cares so much about? If Jesus was all about his death and resurrection, he wouldn't have lived and gave us this ministry. He wouldn't have sent us on. And if it wasn't important for us, as soon as we became Christians, we would just disappear up into heaven. But that's not the reality. We're here to bring about new creation, which Jesus will finally do when he comes again in that second coming. We have an essential part to play as this church. And I'm excited about that. I'm so excited about the resurrection, commission, and ascension that it leads me to worship. It leads Paul. If you read the rest of uh, the letters, there's just so much in Paul that leads him to worship. And when that happens, when we are obedient and we follow in that mission, there's that little bit of the kingdom. If you looked at the video, there's that little pocket of new creation that Jesus comes and does. And we should have hope and security and confidence in a future that is physical and spiritual, that new creation, that Jesus died resurrected to make happen. We should take comfort in that and step out in it as well. Every moment matters. We should be living with purpose, being witnesses with joyous worship. I encourage you to read through the rest of uh, Paul and other letters to find out what that works out to be, what that means. And this all sounds really abstract and out there. We're talking about the ascension and all that type of stuff. But actually, it's really core and basic. It's every day. If you're working, how can you witness to Jesus and worship in that place of employment? 
If you're studying, how can you do the same? If you're a parent, what greater importance than witnessing to your kids? What greater importance is that for our community? So before we come up and worship again, as we respond to the reality of the fully resurrected Jesus, that he sends us out to be his witnesses, and that he has ascended into power and glory, may we fully understand that. Because if we do, then there's no stepping back. We have decided to follow Jesus. And that it's at his name. And because of this, that he has glory and power forever and ever.